name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for hanging out with us today. It's going to be a good day. Amen? Oh, you didn't know we said amen here. We just started. Right now, we just started. Amen? amen. Oh, so good. Man, I tell you, I used to really get irritated when people would say to me that church is like their little Jesus injection throughout the week. You know, I just need it, man. I need a little shot in the arm. And then I realized it's like mine, too. This is the best energy drink in the fridge. Man, we need this. We need to come together to encourage one another, to support one another, to hear teaching that we didn't prepare, to sing songs that we didn't pick, so that together God fills us up, he renews us, and he re-energizes us. That's why you're here, man. So we hope this is absolutely the start of a fantastic week for you. We're going to begin today by giving an offering to God, like Proverbs says in chapter 21, that the righteous give without reservation. So if that's you, man, if this is your church, give. Give generously. And understand this is an act of worship. I'm going to pray and then ushers you come forward. Lord, thanks for this great place. Thanks for everybody who's come today with, with a sense of, of expectation. That they want to be obedient. That they want to lead their families well. That they want to be knit together by your spirit into a new community. And we pray, Lord, that, that you change us. That you change our minds where, where we're dumb or stupid or foolish. That you change our hearts where we're stubborn, that, that, that you change our, our prejudices, our beliefs, and it, you'd make us holier. And so now, God, as, as we give an offering, we, we perceive that what we're doing here matters. It matters not just to pay the bills. It matters because it represents what's going on in our hearts. It represents what's going on in our imagination. And we believe that as we work with you to heal the world, you give us new vision, new future, new promise, new dreams. In your name, amen. Amen. Man, I've been in, in ministry now uh, j just over 20 years, and when I first got started, I had a series of, of minor successes that really made me feel pretty good. I was like, oh, I, I got a little bit of aptitude for this thing. And th those were really short-lived, followed by roughly two decades of disappointment. And early on, when I started hitting some bumps in my ministerial career, I invited a new friend of mine from Oklahoma City to come and lead a workshop and a, a retreat setting for all of the college kids that I was pastoring. And we went to this place called Manning Park in British Columbia. It's like 70,000 acres of wilderness. And, and I was so excited, man. I did everything I could to get the highest number of college kids together so that we could have the single greatest spiritual experience in the history of the universe. And I said, a goal. I thought, I'm going to get 100 guys and gals to come to this camp. We're going to have the best worship. We're going to have the best prayer. We're going to have the best experiences. 17 came. Yeah, I aimed for 100. I got 17. I took a bath on this retreat, and I was so embarrassed because I had a buddy coming in from out of town, and I was, he's like, hey, how many are coming to this retreat? Did you get your number? Almost. <laughs> Almost I got a quarter of them or a fifth, and, and he put his arm around me. He said, you know what? One of the things you got to learn is that it's not about how many people come. And that whole weekend, man, I, I, I was ministered to. I, I got my, 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 my hard heart got a little bit softer, got a little bit more healed. And I realized that it, it doesn't matter who's not here. What matters is that God has something for you. God's got something for me. And, and we believe that over time, all these empty seats, man, they're going to be filled with the people we love and care about. But, but for today, man, you, you got to open up your heart. You got to open up your mind because God's got something for you this morning. Amen? Amen. Now, that guy who taught me that lesson is here this morning. So please welcome my friend, Doug Biron, as he comes to preach. Yeah. Hey, good morning. I, I don't know how things went the first service, but somebody asked if my shirt was flammable, and I said, yeah, I think so. And then they came up and lit a candle. 
So I don't know what that means. But uh, anyways, I'm kidding. This is my wife, Debbie, who was able to come out here to Michigan with us. In 10 days, we will be celebrating our 38th anniversary. Yeah. Yay. So that's why it's been quite a ride. It's been quite a ride. So yes, I remember going up to Manning Park, and uh, it was very, very... That was our 20th anniversary? Hey. Thanks, Dave. Wow, there you go. I probably should have known that. <clears throat> but uh, anyways, I love Dave's, uh, Dave's sleeves, you know, his tattoos he had in his arm, and I thought, man, I need to get a tattoo before I go out to Michigan. But the more I thought about it, you know, getting Hello Kitty on my ankle wasn't going to help, so <laughs> I didn't think that was going to quite do it and all of that. So I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I started out as a child. But yeah, well, well, usually people just go, oh, that is good. That's, uh, that's our opportunity. Anyways, it, it is great to be here. Dave has been an incredibly loyal friend, and, um, you know, he tells some stories. It's interesting hearing somebody else's idea of when you first met and, and somebody else picture your relationship. We don't get to see each other very much. And uh, which has been kind of a bummer, but um, I, I don't really have any more loyal friends than Dave. And it was cool to hang out with Carmel. I hadn't seen the kids since they were real little, and, and that was fun. And knowing that your son could break me in half was a little daunting, <laughs> but I saw a video of him doing CrossFit and stuff like that, and I thought, man, that is just phenomenal. But uh, anyways, it's good to be here. So. I need to, to dive into this a little bit. Uh, I'm not much of a preacher, but I'm a, I'm a storyteller. So we'll, we'll get to the story in just a minute. But I want to introduce an idea to you. This was part of a series that had become a, a lifestyle for me. And it goes, uh, it goes back, the germination of it goes back years and years and years. But I did youth ministry for 29 years. And the best compliment I ever got was when some kid would go, you're real. You know, some kid wearing bondage pants, sitting in the planter at Saturday night church at the, the youth deal and just going, hey, you're real. That, that's kind of a cool deal, that you have a chance to connect with somebody, that you have a chance to help introduce them. And sometimes we, we get lost a little bit. I had a, a school teacher, uh, one of my kids was doing a project and interviewing me, and I had to meet the school teacher, and she said, how would you describe your job? And I said, I introduce young people to Jesus, and I uh, help create memories. And it's been interesting over the years to have kids call me back 10, 15, 20, 25 years later and saying, you know, this thing happened back in my life back then, and this is going on right now, or this happened, and I wanted to call and I wanted to let you know. And God works in incredible ways sometimes. God is always at work. I'm not going to take as much time as I did this morning introducing this idea, but there in, when we read the Bible, there are real people living real lives in real time. And it's very easy to look at these stories and kind of turn them into fables. You know what I'm saying? We read that, all right, what's, what's the moral of the story? What's, what's, the, what's the, the, the thing I'm supposed to learn? And then let me move on. 
And they're like fables. You know, you hear some fable, what's the moral of the story? Here's the moral of the story. Here's how you should live your life, and then you move on. And we kind of do that. And then the people live happily ever after, right? Don't you love fables? Live happily ever after, just like us. Something good happened to us, we've lived happily ever after ever since, right? Oh, no, no. Oh, this is a different crowd. No, I'm kidding. But the... Uh, I want to introduce this and just take a minute, and I want to look at the life of, uh, this isn't where we're going, but it introduces this idea of real people, real life, real time. Um, remember King David? Some of you may remember him from the Old Testament. King David is presented warts and all in the Scripture, but it's very interesting that we meet him when he's 13, and he dies when he's about 70, and we've got, I don't know, 22, 23, 25 stories about his life. And it's very easy for us when we read the Bible to just, you know, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. And, you know, this was good, this was bad, this was good, this was bad, whatever, all else. And then boom, 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 boom. And then we have our own lives, which run slower than that. And it's not just one thing happens after another, after another, after another. And somehow we lose track of how we can relate to these things in the Scripture. We lose this sense of real people living real lives in real time, and then somehow their stories become fables, and somehow their fable ends up with a moral. That moral becomes a rule, and that becomes some sort of legalism. And we need to walk away from that idea. I used to tell, uh, actually I still do, I tell people, if you want to understand the Bible, you need to insert yourself into the story. You need to show up. If we can run that slide of my daughter, this is my youngest daughter. She lives in Nashville, and I've been saying this to them since they were munchkins about inserting yourself into the story and this is Shelby at her aunt and uncle's house at Christmas and it says my dad always says to understand the Bible you have to insert yourself into the story here's me at the birth of baby Jesus <laughs> so obviously she understood that nailed that it's good to know that your kids get it she's hilarious she's so much fun but with David he, we, we hear about all this stuff happening to him and our men's ministry is going through it and they started asking, well, what happened in the in-between times? And what we found out was, we don't know. And I don't know used to be a gravestone to me. It's like, but if you don't know, if you don't know what's going on, then it, it, I get buried under that. But I found out that same slab of concrete that is a gravestone can also be a launching pad. Because it's in the I don't knows that we find out that these people lived real lives. Jesus had this incredibly intimate relationship with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And in the Bible, they, had, they say like 11 sentences to each other. And it's very easy for us to go, hey, that was their whole relationship. Are you kidding me? I mean, seriously, their whole relationship was 11 sentences? Are you kidding? Their, the life was happening. Life was going on, and that was a snapshot of it. But our life's a video. It keeps happening. It keeps going. And we're supposed to see these things in the Scripture. We need to understand that these people are living real people, real lives. Like, what did David do early on in his career when he was an outlaw? What did he do? He, he did outlaw stuff. Right? What do outlaws do? He did outlaw stuff. I went to school to learn this. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's going, I have no idea why you're picking on me. So he did outlaw stuff. And then when he got older, he did what? He did king stuff. 
in the in-between times. He did king stuff. He made sure that the water got in. He made sure sewer got out. He made sure the garbage got picked up. He made sure buildings got built, that the roads worked. He did king stuff. Real people, real life, real time. But what we learn from their stories is that when the water rose, when the time came, they were ready. Well, except with David, except for once. But when the time came, they were ready. It was the life that they lived in between that made them ready for the story that we read. There was something about their intimacy with God. There was something about them being available during the times in between. And some of us have those. We have gaps. We have seasons in our lives. We have these, these gaps. Sometimes you don't know what's going on. You know, this incredible thing happened in my life two years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. But now I'm just cruising. Now it seems bland. Now it seems hard. Now I'm going through this difficult season. Those are the gaps. God is still at work. Real people, real lives, real time. And I want to talk to you about a guy in the Scripture whose gap, as far as we can read in the Scripture, his gap is at the end. Which just opens up a world of possibilities to us. It's also somebody that we think we might not be able to relate to. But I'll bet you we can. If we show up at his story, if we insert ourselves in this story. And it's from the book of Mark, chapter 2, and it's about a paralyzed guy. Now, it doesn't tell us what his name is, but a lot of paralyzed people in that culture, in order to take care of themselves, take care of their families, were beggars. Because you couldn't be paralyzed and, you know, be a, a lumberjack. You may say, well, we've got a couple of paralyzed lumberjacks here in the church. Well, but I bet you don't have a lot. <laughs> so a lot of them were beggars, and they would sit in the corner, and they would ask for alms from people. And um, since the Bible doesn't name him, I did. <laughs> I call him Charlie the Beggar. And some of you are going, well, wh why would you do that? It's so that every time you read this story for the rest of your life, you're going to go, hey, that's Charlie the Beggar. And you go, rats, why do I keep thinking that? There's no name in here. What's Charlie the Beggar? Anyway, he needs to have a name. He's a real person, right? He wasn't some nameless person. He's a real person. So here's the story. It goes like this. A few days later, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, now Jesus had just healed a leper. So word was getting around. Leprosy was a horrid disease, separated you from everything. And he had healed Somebody had leprosy, so people were yak, 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 and they were on the, you know, the Today Show and on the evening news, and the video went viral. So, um, a few days later, Mark chapter 2, verse 1, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. So, meeting in somebody's house, and there are people everywhere. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were there, and thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? <laughs> that should have been their first clue who he was. 
immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now again, it's one of those stories, some of you have read it, some of you haven't, but you read this, especially if you like grew up in church, you've read the story and you go, Doug, you can't tell me any stories. I know all of the stories in the Bible. I know about Noah and, and the seven dwarves. <laughs> and I know, <laughs> I know about Goldilocks and the three apostles. There's no story that, that I don't know. But we need to show up and we need to look around and see a little bit of what's happening here because real people, real lives, real time. And that's what we can relate to. As long as this is some sort of fable to us, we can keep it at arm's distance and find out, hey, there's, there's some moral to the story. I'll just follow whatever the moral to the story is. And then somewhere we find ourselves disconnected with our God because we have pushed Him away and not let Him into our real lives. For those of you who know the parable of the talents, this is like the parable of the talents where the one guy's given a bunch of money, another guy's given a little less, and another guy's given a little less, and the, the owner, the master says, hey, go and do something with this money. I'll be returning, and we'll keep accounts. Well, one guy turned five talents into ten talents, another guy turned two into five, and the last guy went and buried it. Any of you remember this story? So what's the moral of the story? Don't bury your money. Next! <laughs> That's what we do to the Bible sometimes. I want us to show up in this story, and I want us to take on the idea that these are real people living real lives in real time, just like us. Just like us. What might this story have looked like? And we're going to have a little fun at that. So, some guys, I've heard people preach about this, and they say four friends took him to see Jesus. doesn't say anywhere that they were his friends. They were four guys. And they see the paralyzed guy, and they go over there. It started like this. When I was in 7th and 8th grade, I got 209 referrals. I got sent to the office 209 times. <laughs> got suspended twice. You say, how come you didn't get suspended more? It's because I was funny, and it was hard to suspend me when I was funny. <laughs> Don't do this. This is not preparation for ministry. Okay? <laughs> And most of those 209 referrals started with, hey, I got an idea. <laughs> yeah. Some of you guys are going, you're my tribe. Yeah, yeah, I got an idea. So these guys are walking along. Four guys might have been walking along. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the story like it was real life. You can't make doctrine out of this. I don't know what happened. But when we read it, something like this happened, and that's where the real life starts coming in if we're going to relate it to our life. If you read the story and go, I'm not paralyzed, I've never been healed of, of paralysis, so next story, we do that. I don't know why we just do that. But show up, let's show up at this, see what it has to say. Four guys are walking along, they see the paralyzed guy, they'd heard about Jesus maybe healing the leper, they're going to see him, and one of the guys goes, hey, I... I got an idea. See, let's, let's go take that guy to see Jesus. Maybe he'll heal him. So they go over to the guy, grab his mat, and start taking him. 
Well, we're assuming that the guy's going, hey, I'm going to go get healed. No, he doesn't know the end of the story yet. He's saying, hey, wait, what are you doing? I don't want to lose my begging corner. And when the people come and get me later, they're not going to be able to find me. What are you doing? Why are you taking me? Where are you going? Somebody call 911. And they're taking him through town to this house. And he might have been complaining the whole time, guys, just take me back and leave me alone. And the guys are, you know, whistle while you work. And they're taking this guy, and they get to the house, and there are people packed everywhere. And the guy's like, hey, man, we, we can't get in. So maybe Charlie's going, just, just take me back, okay? This is, this is great. I, I don't know what you guys are doing. Would you please take me back? And then one of the guys goes, hey, I got, I got an idea. Let's take him up on the roof. Okay. Now, a lot of these houses back then, most of them, they used the roof for the cool of the evening. It was kind of another room of the house. And it usually had a, a stairway on the side of it that was about a cubic wide, about 18 inches going up. No handrail. OSHA would have shut them right down. So four guys are trying to carry a paralyzed guy on a mat on an 18-inch stairway up to the roof. That must have been hilarious. And, you know, Jesus is inside, and the Spirit of God would say to you, and here's these guys by the window, you know, trying to get this guy up, you know, and, and he's yelling, and why, why don't you take me home? Don't drop me, please. The guys, can you imagine four guys in a mat on an 18-inch stairway? And they're carrying him up. Can you imagine if they tipped him too far, and, he, and he, they dropped him off, and he rolled down the stairs? Jesus tried to talk. Charlie's going, oh! <laughs> Guys are running down, bum, 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 go down, start dragging them back up. Then they get up on the roof. It's like, so what? We're on the roof. And then one of the guys goes, let's dig a hole through the roof. See, if you've read this story a bunch of times before, it all makes sense to you. Oh, yeah, the, the guys, they found the paralyzed guy. They were, he was going to get healed because you know the end of the story. So we're going to take him to these people's house, can't get in, climb up the deal. Of course, what would you do? You'd, you'd dig a hole through the roof, right? Of course. What else would you do, right? It's like, yeah. It's like when we stopped at David and Carmel's last night. It was like, let's not go through the front door. Let's dig a hole through the roof. Carmel's still mad. Can you imagine... Can you imagine being in that house? The people are packed. There's some Pharisees there, and they're upset about everything because they're not fair, you see. And <laughs> Sorry. So <laughs> I, I can't help it. Too many, too many years around junior high kids. So they, they start digging a hole through the roof, and you know, Jesus is trying to talk, and he's sharing with them, and there's people there, and there's serious people there, and then stuff starts falling from the ceiling. It's a, adobe and, and paint and sticks and bird poop, and stuff starts coming down, you know, and a head pops through to make sure they're not in the bathroom, they're in the right place, and you know, the, the, the woman in the house is going, Moshi, they're, they're digging a hole through the roof. They're, they're ruining our house, and look, it's getting on the sofa. People are wondering what's going on. And remember this, they had to make the hole big enough to get Charlie through. So this took a few minutes. 
this what I'm saying. See what happens when you show up at the story? Suddenly it takes on a whole dimension. dimension. It's like our lives. There's stuff in between. They finally get the hole big enough, bring Charlie down, drop him down. <laughs> so what are you doing here? I have no idea. <laughs> I had nothing to do with those idiots. And then Jesus said something. This is a completely different sermon. Jesus said something. He said, your faith has made him whole. But try that theology on. So, so the guy drops down there, and Jesus, Jesus says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know about you. I remember July 6, 1974, when my sins were forgiven, and everything changed for me. The sky was bluer. The water tasted sweeter. The trees were greener. Something, something happened in me when my sins are forgiven. Some people have had that kind of experience. Some people have grown up in the church. It doesn't matter. This guy had his sins forgiven. Now, if he's like us, if Charlie's like us, he's got, let's say, just for round numbers, he's got 10 big problems in his life he's thinking about all the time. He gets dropped down. Your sins are forgiven. Now he's got nine problems. And then Jesus says, uh, I want you to stand up, take your mat, and I want you to go home. Now he's got eight problems. This is great. This is great. But see, a lot of people, they read this story and they think, well, what happened to Charlie? Well, he lived happily ever after. This isn't a fable. Charlie lived. When he went out that door, he lived. See, a lot of us have had miracles happen in our lives, or we've seen miracles happen, sometimes many times, but it's like, well, it's not like this biblical miracle, because we read this story, and Charlie is stuck in his miracle for the rest of his life. He got healed, he walked out, so after that, everything must have just been walking on clouds the rest of his life, just like, you know, with us. But imagine Charlie walking out the door. Remember, Jesus specifically told him, go home. Imagine walking out the door. You've been paralyzed for who knows how long. And you go out the door and you go, I don't know how to get home from here. I've never been here before. Well, now he's got nine problems. Then he says to himself, rats, the, the people that are supposed to pick me up on my begging corner, they're going to think I'm like dead and the garbage company picked me up when they went by and they're going to freak out. What are they going to think? Now he's got 10 problems. Sound like us? But then it gets worse. He says to himself, if he can't identify with those things, he says to himself, now what do I do? The kid back there just said, huh? Yeah. <laughs> now what do I do? Now what do I I'm not paralyzed anymore. I can't beg anymore. I'm not trained to be a lumberjack. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? God did this incredible, incredible miracle in his life. Two of them. I mean, light up the sky, miracles in his life. 
And this guy still walks out the door, elated, I would hope, but still stuck, just like us. It's like, well, I've still got this other stuff in my life. When we read the story of David, he's got gaps in his life. What did he do? He did stuff that he was supposed to be doing, and when the water rose, he was ready. We can only hope that Charlie did the same thing. What do I do now? Many of us have asked ourselves that question in our walk with God. What do I do now? Well, it's, it's right here. There are people in the Bible that are going through the same junk that we've gone through. I've had people come up to me and go, you know, I gave my heart to God. I tithe. I serve in the church. I do this and I do that. And this bad thing still happened. You ever had anybody say that to you? And I, I, I have you ever read the Bible? Have you? Daniel, Joseph, Jacob, have you ever read about these people? Some of the junk that they went through? It's unbelievable. But what's the Bible trying to tell us? What's the real life story? God will walk with us and he is always at work in our lives. God is always at work. So I want to leave you with a couple of ideas. The chief one is this, is the next time you pick up a Bible or you read one of these stories, insert yourself into the story. And I'm not just talking about parables and stories of the Bible. If you read something in the Bible and you go, I don't know what that means. I don't know about you, that happens to me all the time. What's that mean in real life? Ask God. Don't talk, talk about God like he's in the other room. God, I don't understand what this is going to mean for me in real life. You may get an answer then. You may get an answer in a week. You may get an answer you don't like. But might as well go to the source. What did David do in the in-between times? He walked with God in such a way that when the water rose, he was ready. And what I want to encourage you to do, whatever season you're going through in your life, whether you're launching into your future, whether you have endured hardship, whether you've endured pain, whether you're just in a blank spot right now. Man, I used to do all this stuff in the, in the kingdom of God, or I used to do all this stuff at work. I used, to, you know, I used to have money and I don't anymore, whatever the case might be. And it's like I'm in a different season right now. Those are the in-between times. Walk with God in the gaps. So when the water rises... You're ready. You may say, the water's rising in my life right now. It's up to my neck. God is always at work. And seek him out. And seek after him. And see what he might want to do in your life that you have no idea that is completely unexpected to you. But I want to ask you a couple of questions. Number one is, like Charlie, do you know your way home to a loving father? You may be here t- today and just going, I, I don't know why I'm here. I just I came and I heard that this church is, is pretty good or it's, it's dark and nobody will see me or I heard that the, the preacher's shirt's going to catch on fire and that sounds entertaining. <laughs> do you know your way home? Because you've got a father, God, who loves you, Amen. who cares about you who wants to love on you, who wants to meet you, who wants to speak life to you, who wants to walk you through these gaps and through these hard times in your life.
Number two, sometimes we're worried about what people will think. Well, the mob will think anything. You, you can't rely on what the mob's going to think. When I played football, the quarterback was so mad at me between my junior and senior year when I got saved in high school. Between my junior and senior year, he was so angry at me, he started yelling, I'm never talking to you again. I don't know why it bugged him, but I'm never talking to you again. I'm never, I kept arguing with him, Gary, you're going to have to talk to me. No, I'm never going to talk to you again. This went on for three or four minutes, and I finally said, Gary, you're the quarterback, I'm the center. If you ever want the ball again, you're going to have to talk to me. <laughs> and then big question for a lot of us, what do I do now? Well, I just want us to take a second. I just want us to take a second. I want us to talk to God like he's in the room, because he is. I just want to pray with you. Lord Jesus, I pray for this, this bunch, this crowd, this people, this gathering. And Lord, pray that you would speak life to them. I pray that they would open up their hearts to seek you in ways that they never have before. Lord, I pray that they can see themselves in the story and realize that as this was their story in real life, that you're speaking into our lives right now in real life, real time, real people. And that your word speaks to us now and draws us towards you. Because your word says, come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me, and I will meet you. Come to me, and I will hear your voice. Lord, I pray that you would rise up, raise up this people. I was talking with Dave last night about the Welsh Revival, and it started at a church on the road between Glen Ethel and Swansea in Wales. Millions of people came to Christ around the world. It was one of the greatest revivals in history. And it started at a church on the road between two towns. So Lord, I say this, why not in Jackson? Wouldn't it be cool if 100 years from now people were talking about the great Jackson revival or the great Michigan revival or, or the great Lakes revival that started in Jackson, Michigan? Why not? So Lord, we make ourselves available to you and Lord let us invite you because Lord the story you have for us is every bit as powerful as this story you had for Charlie and you shared this to show us what you could do what you would do and the depth of your love for each one of us because Lord you are at work right now in these people and in this place pour forth your spirit in a profound way on West Winds Church and this people in this city this community this state in Jesus name and all God's people said amen amen God bless you